this week I'm praying that God brings godly leaders into power. I'm not praying just for the White House. I'm not praying just for the Senate or for the House of Representatives. But can I tell you that I believe that we need godly governors, that we need godly state house uh, representatives, that we need godly mayors. I believe that we need godly dog catchers. I mean, I just believe that we need to have revival in leadership in this land. And so that is what I am going to be praying about over the next week, that God places people there that are godly. I'm not talking about people that are perfect. How many knows that none of us are perfect? You know, we're really, really quick to talk about the other man's sin and our mistakes. But the truth is, is every single one of us here today, we are dependent upon God every day that we rise up. And so I'm not asking that God puts perfect people in, but that God puts godly people in. You see, I don't think that there's anything wrong with having godly people in leadership in our country. I'm talking about people that will stand for things like not stealing, about not lying and bearing false witness. I'm talking about just people that will just do what the Word of God says. And I want us to understand, I don't want Christians put in that are by name only. But I'm talking about people that not only talk the talk, but that they walk the walk and that they're doing what is right. You know, I also pray for the same thing to happen within the church. That we become a people that not only do a talk, but we also do a walk. And one of the things that we need to be doing during the month of October is we need to be praying for our country. We need to be praying for our leaders. We need to be praying for direction. And so I want us just to take a few minutes and I want to talk about praying. I'm going to deal with three issues today that are before us. And what the Bible says about the issues, I'm not going to deal with Republicans and Democrats. I'm just going to deal with thus saith the Lord. Is it okay if we just take the Bible today? But I want us to talk for just a moment about this thing called prayer. Can I tell you that one of the most rewarding things that we do is pray? Can I tell you that one of the hardest things that we do is pray. Have you ever noticed that whenever you set a time aside that you are going to pray and you say tomorrow I'm going to pray from, if you're a morning person, I'm going to pray from 7 o'clock in the morning to 7.20. Have you ever noticed that you start getting telephone calls about five minutes before 7 and nobody ever calls you that early? Have you ever noticed that whenever you go down in prayer time that you start thinking of them two things that you've got to do and they've got to be done right now? Anybody know what I'm talking about today? It's work when we enter into prayer. But that's because that's spiritual warfare. That is us coming together and us doing what God has called us to do. I want us to know that... uh, That, you know, when you think about this thing called prayer, why would God call for us to pray? How many knows that he's told us that we are to pray? That's not an optional thing for you and me. That's something that he's commanded you and me to do. Now, why is it that God would even want us to pray? 
He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. How many knows that God knows every single need that you have right now? But yet he commands that you and I ought to pray. Now, when I was a little bit younger, and I've been, I've been in this for a long time. How many has been serving the Lord for a long time? Sometimes I think that makes me smarter, and sometimes I think it just makes me older. Okay? But the, but the truth is, is the more I get involved in this thing about prayer, I start believing that it's about a whole lot less about what I'm saying and a whole lot more about what I'm doing. For you see, when I begin to pray, what I'm doing is I'm coming before the Lord and I'm laying before Him. Now, I may be laying before Him sitting in a chair like Sister Phyllis is doing. I may be laying before Him with my hands lifted in the air as I walk around the sanctuary here at the church. I may be laying before the Lord as I'm right here at the altar, but I'm coming before Him and I am surrendering myself to Him with the knowledge that I cannot do this by myself. I am dependent upon Him. I don't believe that my prayer time... Yeah, give Him a hand clap of praise today. I don't think my prayer time is contingent upon some flowery words that I'm speaking. But I believe it's a heart thing. That as I start getting a hold of him, he starts getting a hold of me. Too many times I think that that we rely on some type of eloquent speech that we're going to get the attention of God. But I believe that I can find in Scripture where God would bless and God would touch when somebody would just say a simple prayer like, Lord, help me, as they were sinking. And those three words would get the attention of the heavens. And all of a sudden, God would reach down and touch in the middle of that. I'm talking today about you and me spending some time in prayer. Prayer changes things. I believe that it was R.A. Torrey that said this, a great evangelist in days gone by. He said, there have been great revivals without preaching, but there has never been a mighty revival without a mighty praying. Can I tell you that if we want to see a move of God happen in our country, it will be because God's people have humbled themselves together and they have begun to pray. Look over at your neighbor and say, he's telling us the truth today. Well, praise be to God. I want us to look at one scripture. Paul is in prison. How many knows he spent more time in prison than out of prison after he got saved? Can I tell you that... uh, When we get saved, God doesn't promise you and me a walk uh, through the garden. You see, Paul spent so much time in prison, but you know what? He didn't let that hinder him or stop him. He just kept right on working for the Lord. He had done decided that when he was a free man, that he was going to tell people about the Lord. If he was in bonds, historians tell us, 
They had changed the guard every 45 minutes because if they waited for an hour, they'd have a saved guard on their hands. It didn't make him any difference. And so here what we find is we find Paul in prison and he's writing to the Colossians. And he says in Colossians 4 and 2, he says, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. He says, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. I want to talk about three things from this scripture before we go any further. I want us to notice the word that he says, continue in prayer. That word literally means to, uh, to pursue with vigilance. It's not something that is just to do it, but it is literally saying that you are to constantly do it with all that you have. It's kind of like the guy that is, is training, the athlete that is training, and he's doing these exercises every single day in order to get his body built up to the point to where he can run that race. How many knows that we're in a race today? And he's having them, and he's continually doing it and continually doing it in order to get strong enough. This is what he's telling us here, that we are to continue in prayer. You see, whenever we start looking at this thing called prayer, and I want us to understand, you can do your now I lay me down to sleep, with a bag of peanuts at my feet. And if I should die before I wake, please give them, Lord, to my brother Jake. You can do that prayer all you want to. And the devil does not care. But when the church begins to pray, I said, I'm talking about, they used to say, now I'm sorry this is out of, out of date today, but they used to say, you come down here and you pray till you get through. And they would come to the altar and they would pray till they got through. Now you have to understand what they were saying. They wasn't saying, you go down there until you're ready to get up and leave. What they were saying is that you pray till you get through. You're trying right now to get through to the heavens. How many has ever prayed and it seemed like that the heavens was brass and you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and it just didn't seem like, it seemed like God wasn't within a thousand miles. Of, but back then what they were saying is you pray till you get through. You pray till you penetrate penetrate that brass uh, 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 maze that is there and you get on through so you can get to the heavens. I'm talking today about people that aren't doing a now lay me down prayer but people that are earnestly uh, uh, fighting in this spiritual battle doing what it is that God has called us to do. I read statistics a couple of weeks ago that says that the average church member prays less than 20 minutes per week. The preachers was about 35 minutes a week. 
And we want to know why there's no power in the church. Can I tell you that prayer changes things? God's looking for somebody that will call upon him. He says, continue in prayer. And then he says, and watch in the same. That is a very common thing that we see in Scripture where he marries the concept of prayer and watching. Watch and pray. We see that many different times in Scriptures. We need to understand that that's not by accident. For you see, that word watch there, back in their day, they would associate that with a watchman that would be up on the top of the walled city. And if you was fortunate enough to live in a walled city to where the, the robbers and the thieves couldn't just come by and pick, pick you out, then you understand how important that that watchman is. And he says to watch and pray, to pray and watch, because that we have to understand and discern by being the children of God the times and the seasons that we're living in and to be able to understand in the spirit what it is that is going on in this world so that we can pray and minister to those that are in need. I'm talking today about watching and praying. You see, prayer isn't just me giving a list of things that I I want the Lord to do for me. But we have to understand that prayer is allowing me to be the ears and the eyes of God. Listen to what he said in Moses 3 and 7. I'm sorry, in Amos 3 and 7. He says, surely the Lord does nothing unless he reveals his secret to the servants of the, of the prophets. I want us to understand that as you and I begin to pray, prayer will begin to allow us to receive revelation as to what's going on in our country. I believe that too many people, and I'm talking about people inside the church, I'm not talking about the world. There's too many people today that thinks that the problem that we have is with the Democrats. Or that the problem that we have is with the Republicans. Or that the problem that we have is... But I want us to understand today that if you and I will allow God to reveal by His Spirit what is going on, the very soul of America is at stake. And we are in the midst of spiritual warfare like never before. And we need to get some spiritual eyes on what's going on. We need to understand we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We're not wrestling against the Democrats or the Republicans or any of this stuff. We are in a spiritual fight and we need God to reach down and to touch in our community. And you and I need to be watchmen on the wall that is praying and asking God for deliverance for his people. Let's... Can we go back to that verse right before that one more time? Our key text. Continuing in prayer. 
constant, pursuing with vigor and watching, allowing the revelation of God to happen in your life and in my life for the needs of those around us, watching the same with thanksgiving. Can I tell you, I hear a lot of people today in the church that talks about that there is no hope, that talks about that this world is just going downhill and that there's nothing that can be done. I want you to listen to this if you don't catch anything else I say today. Hogwash. Let me say it from a biblical standpoint. I'll use a biblical word. Baloney. There is no way, there is no way that the devil wins. Y'all, I've looked in the back of the book and I see who wins. But you and I do have a responsibility to watch and pray. But then I need to be a person of praise, not a person of doubt. I need to be a person that is proclaiming that God is bigger, not somebody that is fearful today. And so I want us to take a couple of minutes and I want us to look at what Scripture tells us pertaining to a couple of the issues that we have before us. The first one that I want to talk about today is abortion. Go to the next slide if you would. Uh, The one with Ted Bundy, if you can find him. There you go. I want us to take just a second, and I want us to think about Ted Bundy. He was a good-looking man. They say that he would entrap the girls that he would later kill with that charm, that charisma, that good look that he had. If you had a crowd of people and you were trying to pick out a serial serial killer, he would not be the first one you would pick in the crowd. But he was convicted of killing, I don't remember how many that he was convicted for, uh, 24 or 25. It's thought that he killed at least 30. Some people put him that he killed between 70 and 100. That number will never be known. How many believes that Ted Bundy, although he had a character flaw, that he would have made a good leader? Anybody there? No. You see... Just simply the fact that he believed in killing people would disbar him as far as I'm concerned. I want to talk for just a second about abortion if I can. Go back to the slide of the uh, six-week-old. Here is a baby. The world wants us to call it a fetus. But that is a child that has been conceived and that is in the womb of the mother. I want to make sure that we have an understanding of what we're looking at. 
I want to talk to unbelievers today. I may not have any unbelievers here, but I may online. I want to talk to the unbelievers for just a minute. Today, if in a car wreck they had to carry you to the hospital, when they got you there and you were not breathing, they would check two things. They would check to see if you have brain activity and they would check and see, is your heart beating? For you see, at death, that is how they determine whether you're alive or whether you're dead. Now, my question to our country is if that is the standard that we have of those that die, then why is that not the standard that we use for a child? Because at six weeks, their heart is beating. At six weeks, brain activity is going on. Today we live in a country that almost 62 million kids have been killed. And we call it a woman's choice. Through the scripture, we find three times that nations killed their children. Every time that they did that, judgment followed. I want us to understand today that this is not an issue that God is silent on. So I want us to look at some scripture today. For the believers, we stand on the word of God. Not on what is politically correct. Not on what I feel. How many have ever woke up and not felt saved? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Some some mornings I wake up and I'm just glad the dog's not around me, okay? Because I don't want to kick the dog. I mean, we all have those days. But my salvation is not based on feelings. My salvation is based on what thus saith the Lord. And I want us to understand today that these are not arbitrary issues that's decided in some type of a little vacuum. But today, these are issues that we can look at through His Word. Now, here's what it says in Jeremiah 1 and 5. He said, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you and I ordained you a prophet to the nations. I want you to look at what it says. It says, before I formed you, before Jeremiah was, God already knew him. God already had a plan for his life. And he says, before I formed you. You see, It's not the twinkle in the eyes of mom and daddy that forms a child. But life is given by God. And I want us to understand that at conception, that is when life is given. 
He said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And I want us to understand today that that same God has not changed. That is exactly the way that it is today. Let's look again. Let's go a little bit further. Let's see what the psalmist said in Psalms 139 in verses 13 through 16. He says, for it was you, this is David speaking to the Lord. He says, for it was you who formed in my, my inward parts and that you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately but woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me when none of them yet existed. Can you see what the scripture there is saying? He's saying that you and I are wonderfully made and that God, the giver of life, even as we are at conception, that he has already laid out our life plan, the things that he wants to do through you and me and to be very candid through those 62 million children that we chose to get rid of instead of allowing life to come forth. How many presidents and scientists and lawyers and doctors have we gotten rid of? I don't think that the Bible is silent on this, guys. For here's what he says in Genesis 1. He says in Genesis 1, and then God said, Let us make man in our own image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Go to the next slide a couple of chapters later. And here's what you find there. It says that whoever sheds a man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he was made. Can I tell you today that we are made in the image of God and that we are not people that can make a decision on somebody else's life. That is what God does. And we have to allow God to do what it is that he's wanting us to do. Brother Smithing, I, want, I, I think all of that is good. But I find in the New Testament, I find in the New Testament where the disciples were trying to, to get them not to bring their children uh, to, the, to Jesus. And he said, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. For such is the kingdom of heaven. I want us to understand. He says that if you and I offend. Now listen to what it's saying. If you and I offend a little one. That it's better that a millstone be tied around my neck. And thrown into the ocean. To offend a small one. Someone that couldn't take care of themselves. Or somebody that could not help themselves. I believe that for the church to remain silent on the issue concerning the unborn 
would be a travesty because here we've got someone that cannot speak for themselves and we need to be willing to speak for them today. And if we offend somebody and it's better that a millstone would be tied around my neck, how much more would it be concerning getting rid of or killing that child? That is something that we as Christians should never be able to say that I would vote for. Well, praise the Lord. Now listen, it's just the word, guys. It's just the word. The thing that bothers me on the issue of abortion is I read a statistic that Christians are split 60-40 on the issue of abortion. That 40% of Christians think abortion is fine. There's something wrong with that. Being politically correct is not what God is looking for in His people. He's looking for us to stand for truth. Can we go ahead and go to another issue today? Let's continue. I want to take a minute and talk about helping people or government aid. And how many knows that uh, that God's word has for us to take care of those that need help? We find benevolence in his word. And so I want to take a minute and I want us to talk about that. James 1 and 27 says this, It says that pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, the Father, means caring for the orphans and the widows in their distresses and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Now let's take just a moment and let's look at what it says there in the scriptures concerning helping people. Pure religion and undefiled before God. That's the way that you and I are used to probably reading this. But it says that in the sight of God the Father, it means taking care of the orphans and taking care of the widows. Now let's put that in in some more modern terms. Those that are young, it is our responsibility and privilege to help. God's word commands that we do that. For our seniors, that we take care of them and we help them. And so I want us to understand that God's word is not against aid for those that are in need. Let's go just a little bit further. I'm going to go back to the Old Testament here. Deuteronomy 24, 19. He says, And when you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a shave, do not go back and get it. Uh, Leave it for the foreigner, for the fatherless, for the widow, so that the Lord God may bless you and all of the work of your hands. Now, I think that is is very, very... uh, informative here as we look at this particular scripture 
because this right here is shadowing what was talked about there uh, in, in, John, in John because it's talking about that you are to, you know, leave some stuff in the field for those that are in need for them to be able to get what it is that they need. And there was a lot of different people and you got to understand there was no aid per se from the countries and all of that during that time. And so this right here was the way that God had for taking care of those that would be in need. God always wants us to do that. How many is thankful today that we serve a God that cares and, and is benevolent towards those that are in need? This right here is probably the most giving church that I've ever had the privilege of being around. Uh, last week, we took up... Debbie, help me. Do you remember how much we took up for Jesus is away? We took up a bunch of money. I'm sorry. I believe that we took up around $400. I think it was right in that area. I, I put her on the spot and I did not mean to. Listen, she, she's had her, her knee worked on. And uh, uh, she, she's, she is just a trooper to be up here every week. Uh, and, and I appreciate that. But, uh, but I think that we received about $400 in the offering. We also re- re- received $220 in ticket sales. And we also received, uh, I think it was another 180 in addition to that. There's so total probably 700 maybe even close to $800 here just on the spur of the month, uh, a moment offering for Jesus is away. I am so thankful for the benevolence, and I'm also thankful that Brother Kevin back there in the back won the saw and the sawhorse. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. But what, what, what we're talking about here is we're talking about helping people. And God's word is full of us doing that. There's nothing wrong with that. And I'm thankful. Now, I don't, I, I, we could get into a discussion of whether that is the state's responsibility or the church's responsibility because I do believe that the church has shirt, shirked its responsibility and therefore the state has had to pick it up. But anyway, I'm not even going to get into that right now. But I do want us to understand the Bible also talks about something else. And I do not want us to miss this. And that's found in 2 Thessalonians 3 and 7. How many knows that God's Word is, says that we are to be benevolent? Okay, we've established that. But here's what he says. He says, for even when we were with you, This we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Huh. Wow. Where's the benevolence in that? Now, look at what it says. Look at what it says. And this we commanded you, that if any would not work, That word would is very important because it's not could not work. It is would not work. This is people that are able-bodied, but they choose not to work. And this is the tension that you get with aid, with benevolence, okay? Because you've got people that need it and you want it to go to them. And then you got people that know how to work the system. 
Anybody know what, some, what I'm talking about? I, I had somebody <clears throat> probably my second or third year uh, here. I had somebody call and they needed a room for a hotel. And uh, listen, we get so many benevolent requests here at this local church. It is unreal. I was not used to that whenever I come up here. And uh, we got some down there, but we didn't get a whole lot in Arkansas. But uh, anyway, uh, uh, they, they told me the, 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 what they were going through and all of that. And so I made arrangements that we paid for one night in a hotel. And I drove over to that particular hotel and I paid for it direct so that uh, we made sure the money went for a hotel and all of the right things. And then the next day I got another call from somebody else from the same hotel. And then the next day I got a couple of calls from the same hotel uh, from different people. And all of a sudden I'm getting calls from, I mean, I'm getting calls every single day from that hotel. I'd never gotten a call from that hotel. And so finally I got in my car and drove over there and to come and find out the guy that I gave the money to the first time or the, the, the night stay, the first time, he put our number up. If you need a free room, just call this number. And so, uh, you know, I said, wow. Okay, and, and, and so here what the Bible is saying is the Bible is saying, yes, we are to be benevolent. Can I read to you what it says in the message on this verse? I'm going to read a couple of verses. I'm going to start at uh, 10 and go through 13. He says in the message, he said, Do you not remember the rule that we had when we lived with you? That if you do not work, you don't eat? And now we're getting reports that a bunch of lazy good-for-nothings are taking advantage of you. This must not be tolerated. We command them to get to work immediately. No excuses, no arguments, and earn their own keep. Friends, do not slack off in doing your duty. Wow, is that pretty plain? Now again, remember who he's talking to. He's not talking to the young. We're to take care of the orphans. We're to take care of the children. He's not talking to the seniors. He's not talking to them that couldn't but he's talking to them that wouldn't. And so we have to understand, if we create a system in our country to where what we're doing is we are enabling people's bad behavior, there will not be enough money for the seniors that are in need. There will not be enough funds to take care of the orphans. That, that is what Scripture is telling us. And so, we yes, benevolence, but if you're able to work, go out and work. Somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise for his word. Well, praise God. All right. Let's go just a little bit further. I want to take just a moment and I want to talk about social justice and about authority. This is a big, big deal today. And so I want us to look at what it says. Go to the next verse if you would. For Scripture tells us that there is neither Jew nor Greek, that there is neither slave nor free, that there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. Now, did you catch 
what he said? He said every single one of us are important. That we are all equal. Anytime, anybody, young, old, black, white, rich, poor, it doesn't matter. Anytime somebody is not treated well, it is wrong. And Scripture has told us that we are to stand up for those that don't have a voice. And so I want us to understand that's what Scripture is telling us. You see, for the child of God, listen to me. For the child of God, give me five minutes, I'll wrap this up. For the child of God, there's one place that levels us all together. And that is at the foot of the cross. For you see, it's at the foot of the cross. It doesn't make any difference if I've got all the money that I can have in banks or if I don't have two nickels to rub together. It is at the foot of the cross to where if I've got a doctorate degree or I didn't finish grade school, it's, it's at the foot of the cross to where I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth or, at the, uh, uh, or I didn't even have a spoon uh, and anything to eat. It doesn't. When I get to the foot of the cross, every single one of us are sinners that are in need of a Savior. And today, I'm thankful that God has called us all to not be prejudiced, to not be uh, to where we think that we're better than someone else, but to where we understand that we are all made in the image of God, that we're all beautifully and wonderfully made. And that is what the children of God needs to be standing on. A few, well, probably a couple of months ago now, I preached a message uh, dealing with, uh, with this particular issue. And one of the things that I said is, is, is to where we can't even have a discussion today because we're afraid that we will offend somebody. That even if you, if you say something, that you can be offensive. And that's the last thing in the world that any of us want to do. And so, all I can say is that the Word of God has told me that we're all the same. And I'm to treat people that way, with honor, with dignity. And if somebody's not being treated that way, I'm to stand up for them, to stand with them. And I believe that's very, very important. I believe that for the child of God... This can easily be accomplished by what it says in John 13 and 34. When he says, and a new commandment I give you. And that is that you love one another as I have loved you. And that you also love one another. That's what God's looking for in you and me. Can I tell you, that's what the world is looking for, for people that will love one another. I am so thankful today that we live in the United States of America. I believe with all of our faults and with all of our issues, 
I believe that it is the greatest nation on the face of the earth. We are so, so blessed. I see people that will take the flag of the United States and they will go to the, on the courthouse steps and they will burn that flag. And can I tell you that when I see that, my heart breaks because of what they're doing. But also, my heart is proud that we live in a nation that we have that freedom to express. Now, I disagree with what they're expressing totally. But you see, you take the state flag in Iran and burn it at their town center and you won't live to see morning. You take their flag in China and you burn it on their town square and nobody will ever hear from you again. But we have so many freedoms in this country and I'm so thankful for that. But scripture has admonished me. Now we're talking about social justice and authority. Scripture has admonished me that I am to obey the laws of the land. I want us to read just very quickly here what Scripture says. We're going to read out of Romans 13. And it says that, beginning in verse 1, it says, And everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in position of authorities have been placed there by God. Look over at your neighbor and say, God put the governor where he is. Look over at your neighbor and say, God put the president where he is. You see, that's what Scripture's telling me. That's not what my opinion is or your opinion is. That's what God's word says. God places people where they are. And then we are to pray for them. But here it's telling us that we are to submit to them, that we are to obey the laws of the land. Now, I'm thankful today that we have a right to protest. When we see something that is wrong, we have a right to protest. But when we pick up a rock, then it's wrong. When we light a match, it's wrong. You see, there's laws, and God's Word tells me that we obey those. Oh, yes, utilize the freedoms that we have. But we have to understand that we are a nation that has laws. And that's important today. And so today, I want us to understand prayer changes things. I need God to direct me how I should vote. I don't care about somebody's popularity nor personality. I want to know where people are at on issues and I want to vote not for a party, but for a person after I've had time in prayer and ask God to help me make the right decision. How many know Scripture tells us that we have not for we ask not? Why is it that we want to compartmentalize voting into a separate part of our lives? But as Christians, prayer should be saturated in everything that I do. I need God's help 
in the direction that we do. I've heard several people say, okay, I got this, I got this choice, and I got this choice. Is there a third choice somewhere? Because they don't really care for either one. But let's pray that God would help us today to find, and also, I'm getting ready to close, also, that we would vote. It is our privilege in this country to be able to vote. Do you know how many people would love in this world to have input to who their leaders were, but they have no say in it whatsoever? I used this saying, I think last week, forgive me for repeating it, but I heard it said a long time ago, and I just think it makes sense. And that is, if you don't plug the jukebox, don't complain about the song that's being played. And so, if you don't vote, don't complain because who got elected. It is our privilege and our responsibility today to vote.